Welcome to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and today's session is entitled Evolutionist Responses to the Problem of the Origin of Life. Now, previous session, I covered a topic called Why the Origin of Life is a Showstopper to Evolution. Uh, in this talk, I discussed the scientific problems to the origin of life through naturalistic processes, and these included the problem of oxygen, the problem of no oxygen, and the problem of water. And also we talked about the enormous problem that all amino acids in all biological proteins are left-handed. We also discussed the problem of probability of a single small protein arising by random chance processes. And we saw the probability of this occurring was so immense that even given a trillion years, it would never happen. Now, why is this so important? Well, the origin of the first living cell by naturalistic processes is a critical component for all of Darwinian evolution. In other words, if we can't have that first cell, there can be no biological change. Therefore, anyone who wants to talk about evolution, or including biological evolution, must be able to account for the first living cell. John Morse, who has his PhD in geology, makes this statement about this. But the single biggest problem facing evolution is the origin of even the simplest form of life from non-living chemicals. The gap between life and non-life is greater than the gap between a single cell and a human. Now in this session, I would like to cover seven of the objections used by evolutionists to my previous session of why the origin of life is a showstopper to evolution. And we'll start with objection number one, and I call it probability. In a recent email I received from a gentleman, he objected to my use of probability, saying it was basically nonsense. Now here was his response, and I quote, I have to go and pick up my wife from work every day. There are 34 traffic lights between our home and her work. At each light, I was able to drive through it or stop. For the round trip today, the probability of the exact sequence of events on that drive, stop, or go was over one chance in 29 quadrillion, or 29 followed by 18 zeros. A mathematical impossibility. Does that mean the trip home didn't happen? After all the chances of those traffic lights working the way they did was mathematically impossible. But wait, I did make it home. How is that possible? It's possible because we live in a world where mathematical impossibility happens all the time. Walking out to the mailbox, the birth of a child, and a trip out of town. Mathematical probability is just silly. Well, what was my response to him? Well, first of all, his response falls short of the problem. He oversimplified the problem. The origin of life by natural processes is far more, a far more complex problem than he has made it. Let me give you just five reasons why. Reason number one, 29 followed by 18 zeros is not considered mathematically impossible. 
The law, law of large numbers tells us that one followed by 50 zeros approaches mathematical impossibility. So his number was far too small. Secondly, the traffic lights he went through are programmed when to go red and green. In the evolution model, there is no intelligent programming allowed, just random chances. So again, he had the wrong problem here. Number three, in the origin of life problem, every time a wrong amino acid is used, the protein is no longer functional and the process must start all over. In his situation with the traffic lights, every time he hit a red light, he would have to start all over again. I doubt that he did this. If he did, he probably would not be home even yet. Number four. In the real world, there are hundreds of different amino acids. Only 20 of these are used and they all must be left-handed. In his situation with the traffic lights, he only included two choices, red lights and green lights. In order to match the real world, he would have to include hundreds of different colors of traffic lights and only the green one allows him to go forward. Every time he came across a non-green light, he would have to start all over again. I seriously doubt he would ever get home, even in a quintillion years. And finally, he only had 34 traffic lights. To match the real world, he would have to have over 190 different traffic lights with hundreds of different colors. You see, he oversimplified the whole problem to continue and support his belief in evolution rather than using real science. And finally, his statement, mathematical probability is just silly, that shows a lack of reality in his thinking. You see, if probabilities did not matter, then there would be no such thing as insurance companies. We would have to stop teaching many of our math courses. Computer systems work on probabilities. Medical technology uses it, as well as many other areas of life. So his response was really a very invalid and unrealistic response. Now let's go to objection two used by evolutionists about the origin of life. And their statement is, the origin of life has nothing to do with evolution. I've had many evolutionists tell me this, including one of the authors of one of our popular biology textbooks. Well, if this is true, that your origin of life has nothing to do with evolution, then we have to change all our biology textbooks, including the one he authored. Because in every one of these biology textbooks, there are sections on the origin of life. Are all these authors and people who have supported these textbooks not correct about evolution? Do evolutionists really not understand evolution then? See, in order to have Darwinian evolution, which we call biological evolution, the first cell must have evolved by naturalistic processes. Therefore, the whole model of Darwinian evolution depends on the ability of lifeless chemicals to arrange themselves into the form of a living cell. You see, there are really three main areas of evolution. There is cosmological evolution, which is the origin of matter in the universe. Without this, folks, forget all about evolution. Forget about Darwin. Then there's a second form of evolution 
called chemical evolution or the origin of life. Folks, if this didn't happen, then we have no biological evolution because we don't have anything living. And finally, there is the biological evolution, also referred to as Darwinian evolution. We don't have that. All we could possibly have is a single cell. You see, that statement by evolution is just another statement to avoid answering the question, how did life originate by naturalistic processes? So they avoid this problem to help cover up the real issue. John Ashton, who has his PhD in chemistry and professor of biomedical sciences, states this. To understand how the first living cell developed by natural, physical, and chemical processes a very, very long time ago is fundamental to the theory of evolution. Now, here's another quote, uh, this time by an evolutionist, and they state, I think it is dangerous to argue that the origin of life is irrelevant to evolution. It is no less relevant than the Big Bang is to physics or cosmology. Evolution should be able to explain, in theory at least, all the way back to the very first organism that could replicate itself through biological or chemical processes. And to understand that organism fully, we would simply have to know what came before it. And right now, we are nowhere close. Now, let's go to objection number three by evolutionists to the origin of life. And their statement is this. Scientists will figure out how life originated in the future. Folks, this is nothing more than a, just a hopeful statement or an attempt to fill in the gaps. It is holding to a belief without evidence. It is a faith statement. It is no different than stating in the future, everyone will believe in a creator God. If we can't teach that in the schools, then how in the world can we teach the origin of life? Because it is nothing more than a faith belief system. Now let's go objection four by evolutionists, and they state, life originated billions of years ago, and that gives plenty of time for all life forms to evolve. Well, dating the origin of life to a time of billions of years ago doesn't help explain how life did originate through naturalistic processes. Again, it is an attempt to ignore or cover up the immense problem of the origin of life so that believers in evolution, including many of our students, continue to believe evolution is true. It is nothing more than ignoring the science to help people maintain their belief in evolution. Again, it is nothing more than a faith statement. Let's go to objection number five, and they state, life on earth was seeded from outer space. You see, some people maintain there is a third possibility, that life on earth came from outer space. In other words, planet earth was seeded by aliens or the necessary ingredients to make life were transported to Earth by some form or asteroid. This is referred to as panspermia. An important thing to understand about panspermia is that it gives no explanation for how life started anywhere else. So again, it is just ignoring the issue, and that's all evolutionists can do. This is a statement, life was seeded 
on planet Earth from outer space is just an attempt to hide the enormous problem of the origin of life by naturalistic processes. It is another faith statement which should not be allowed in our school systems. See, sometimes evolutionists will challenge creationists with this statement on life in outer space. They tell us, the creationists, this. You creationists are arrogant to believe we are the only life in this huge universe. Now, how do you respond to this challenge? Now, in my response, I use what I call a power question. And that question goes like this. Can you show me any observational evidence for life anywhere else in this universe that does not require me to use faith? And folks, scientists cannot do that. Jonathan Sarfati, PhD in physical chemistry, states this. It is no use theorizing about alternate possible life forms either, for we have to explain life as we see it here on planet Earth, and that life defies naturalistic stories of origins. Now, let's go to objection six by evolutionists to the origin of life, and their statement is this. Life is just chemicals coming together. Folks, this is a scientifically inaccurate statement. Life is not just chemicals, and I hope no biology teacher on this planet would ever make that statement because it is a lie. It is not education. You see, the key to life is not chemicals, it is information. Without information, there can be no life. Even Richard Dawkins, one of the leaders in the evolutionist movement, knows this. And he makes this statement. There is enough information capacity in a single cell to store the Encyclopedia Britannica, all 30 volumes of it, three or four times over. Then he goes on to make this statement. The difference between life and non-life is a matter not of substance, but information. Now, here's a statement by three other Ph.D. scientists. Since the publication of the insights of James D. Watson and Francis H. C. Crick in 1953, modern research has consistently acknowledged that the information contained in cells is the dominant basis for the existence of life. Now, get what he says here. This is important, what they say. Anyone who wants to make authoritative statements about the origin of life is compelled to explain the origin of this information. Now again, all you biology teachers out there, and professors, if you're going to talk about life, you must talk about where that vast amount of information came from. And the only explanation I have heard from anyone out there so far is this. Given billions of years of mutations and through natural selection, all the information was available. Folks, I have a question for you. Can you show me any observational evidence where that vast amount of information in our DNA came from that does not require me to use faith? And I know you cannot do this. Therefore, your whole statement is a faith statement and should not be allowed in our education system. You see, if we're going to allow the origin of life in our education system, then we need to allow every other religion also and not protect the religion of evolution. Now, Paul Davies, PhD in physics and 
an evolution of states. We now know that the secret of life lies not with the chemical ingredients as such, but with the logical structure and organizational arrangements of the molecules. Like a supercomputer, life is an information processing system. It is the software of the living cell that is the mystery, not the hardware. Now let's go to the final objection by evolutionists, and they call it the RNA first world. Some evolutionists have theorized that RNA was the first molecule and that it could perform the functions of proteins and DNA. But what they failed to mention to their students and what has failed to be brought out in the textbooks is that there are many scientific problems to an RNA first world. First, RNA is a very complex molecule. Next, the components of RNA, the nucleotides, are very complex and have not been produced in any so-called primordial soup or anywhere in a laboratory. That makes this whole statement a faith statement. Next, spark chamber experiments, like the famous Miller experiment, do not produce the necessary components of RNA. And RNA, folks, is less stable than DNA and proteins. It breaks apart rather quickly. See, the simpler components of RNA, like the ribose, are very unstable in abiotic environments, meaning no living chemicals. The half-life of ribose is about 44 years, far too short for any evolution to take place. Why don't they talk about these situations? And the building blocks of RNA and DNA, meaning the sugars, are all right-handed form. They come in two shapes, right and left-handed, but all the sugars in the RNA and DNA are right-handed. This is a major problem again, because in the last session we talked about all the amino acids in biological proteins are left-handed, and this was an immense problem. No one has been able to produce this. And here again, we have another immense problem. All the components, meaning the sugars here, of RNA and DNA are right-handed. How could this ever happen? There's not enough time, even in trillions of years. And finally, the first polymers, meaning a collection of many smaller molecules, would have to be able to replicate themselves with a high degree of accuracy, or it stops right there. Even 96% accuracy is not enough. How could random chance events ever produce this kind of a mechanism? You see, the evolutionists continue to ignore the real problem. Gerald Joyce, professor and researcher at the Scripps Research Institute and also a leading researcher in the RNA World First models, makes this statement. The most reasonable assumption is that life did not start with RNA. The transition to an RNA world like the origin of life in general is fraught with uncertainty and is plagued by a lack of experimental data. Therefore, folks, we should stop teaching it in our schools. Also, Donald Johnson, PhD in chemistry and PhD in information science, states this. Those who insist on purely physical causes of life are thus in an untenable position when it comes to known science. 
Not only can they not prove that it's possible for life to come about by physical interactions of nature, but the information content of life precludes that possibility. Now, if the evidence against the origin of life by naturalistic processes is so overwhelming, why is it that people continue to believe in evolution? Let me give you some of the reasons why. Many evolutionists simply ignore or do not accept scientific evidence in order to hold to an evolutionary belief. In other words, science really doesn't matter to them. All that matters is evolution. Also, some have never been taught the truth about science. This is because our textbooks and the education system promote the teaching of evolution and not good science anymore. Also, many have been persuaded by false evidence, including many in churches today. Also, many, like our college students, simply believe whatever their professors tell them without applying critical thinking skills. Also, many have rejected the alternative, a creator God. In other words, it's called a willful rejection of the truth. And finally, some are under the false impression that you can combine evolution and the Bible. And in doing so, they are preaching bad science and a false gospel message. So in conclusion, John Ashton, Ph.D. in chemistry, states this. We know what to do, but even with our best technology, we cannot achieve this. It is impossible. Once even a simple organism is dead, it cannot be made alive again. This is a straightforward scientific observation. Now, insisting that a scenario is true, in this case, the origin of life through naturalistic processes, despite the scientific evidence, is itself unscientific. Maybe it's time for our public education system and our universities return to the world of education and stop fostering the pretend and just so-so stories that cannot be substantiated by any observational evidence. See, it is not the people that hold to biblical creation that avoid science, but rather it is the evolutionists who are attempting to avoid science. And why did they do this? To help persuade their followers to abandon the fact that there is indeed a creator God of all things. Thank you and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Thank you.